0: Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Coach Me Plus. Coach Me Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athletes' phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes, or you can use what we've added to our our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's the hydration station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at CoachMePlus.com. Guys, uh, hop over to CoachMePlus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive member's website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches, bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away, tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything, from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, Go ahead and hop over to CVASPS.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to CVASPS.com community and check it out today
1: first podcast here at Central Virginia Sport Performance, www.cvasps.com. We're here today with Cal Deets from the University of Minnesota talking about uh, the last article he had up Monday, an insider's look at Coach teaches programming. Um, Coach, thanks for taking a little time and being on here with us.
2: Jay, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for um, letting me here and write this article uh, to post on your site and have some inter- interaction with people. The uh, the thoughts they're bringing up are uh, are pretty good ones.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, let's get right to it. Let's let's talk about the article here, uh, and more importantly, this sports squat that um, that we're talking about. But uh, give us a little background. Where it came up with this idea, um, and and what the actual the the actual preference you have towards using it in the time of the year, but what does this bring us different? Because we do talk a little bit about the Olympic and the powerlifting squat here in the article. Uh, What is the benefit that we're going to see with the kids that we're working with implementing this means?
2: Well, my original um, finding on this was with Dr. Michael Yassis, and I probably should have posted that in the article, but uh, and I'm sure he'll bust my chops a little bit on that, but I know Doc has squatted like this for many, many years and had his athletes because it, the specificity involved of joint angles and so forth. Doc being a biomechanist was um, looks at every particular joint and every particular action that's going on. Um, that was my first findings, and came to the realization that, you know, uh, the pie metrics that I do often takes place in this fashion so why wouldn't I want to transfer the uh, the sport into this movement now I originally thought that well, I can't squat like this year-round so I I guess the best answer for me was to use both methods and then eventually it came to a point where well then when and and how do I utilize them to make them more effective for my athletes and you know being the sport back squat and and I just call it the sport back squat because it works into my programming Because I'll just uh, my other squat, obviously main one would be the back squat, but and that's I, I would say more of a uh, Kind of a bastardized power lifting or Olympic lifting Squat in some effect some athletes have it a little different um, Based upon their body type which we'll, we'll talk about a little later maybe but ultimately the, uh, the hopes with the, the sport back squat was to get the most benefits to transfer into the sport performance for that particular athlete that I can get. So basically it essentially became a narrower stance squat So because my thinking was your feet are underneath you when you run and jump and you're trying to apply force in that range of motion. And then the the hopes is, so if you had a wider stance back squat, which I do a lot of the times, I found that as soon as I transferred into the narrower stance or my uh, sport back squat, I found that the athletes were able to, again, get better results on the track, uh, better results on the ice, because this is where usually most of the movements start so with your feet underneath you.
1: Right. Well, that's 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 awesome. And Doc actually spoken about that quite a bit with me. Um, you know, in, in kind of piggybacking into what you say, let, let's talk about, you know, you said you used kind of a, a bastardized version of the the Olympic and the powerlifting squat based on the athlete. Uh, let's talk about that just real quick before we get into more of the, the hows and whys of implementing the other. Uh, when you look at these kids, you know, I mean, with the, with the guys that you work with and the women you work with, uh, you know, at the U, what, uh, what do you, what do you look at to determine that? And what do you see with these different types of kids? Like what leads them one way or the other? or What leads you one way or the other in how you, you have them squat?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest thing is body structure. Um, I've found often that yeah, let's say you take, for example, a uh, uh, Colton Iverson, who I uh, coached, a uh, basketball athlete, uh, six eleven, seven foot. And what happens with a seven foot basketball athlete? And he, let's say he's got a, a very long thigh bone, and then a a short torso on a relative scale based upon um, ratios. The problem with that is I can't force him into a, let's say, a narrow stance front squat. Uh, more, let's say maybe more of an Olympic style, because his center of gravity, with uh, where his hips at when he goes to squat, will be so far back, and his, his to, to keep the balance with the short torso, um he's going to have to lean so so far forward. So so realistically, that's not even an effective exercise for him, because it more becomes more of a balance in squatting, and a circus act than it does applying force. In the form of a, a squat method, so that he can transfer his force into a uh, uh, jumping or running exercise. So, you know, if I have a short hockey player that's a five-six, 180 pounds, but he's got short, stubby legs, he can front squat all day. But a tall, seven-foot basketball player, sometimes this, with a long uh, thigh bone, so is it, gonna is gonna struggle. And you're gonna try to you're trying to shove a uh around into a square hole, essentially. So you just realistically need to transfer or uh, use the exercises, to me most effective, to get the transfer of sport uh, into your athlete. So ultimately I guess it just becomes you looking at the biomechanics and what's working for the kid and what's not working for a kid. And usually you can spot it right away as, as you look at what exercise seemed to work for the athlete and what doesn't. Right. I'm sure you've seen that, Jay.
1: Oh yeah, you know, the, the tall guys do tend to have a little bit of difficulty handling a barbell, you know, on their back. But that kind of brings us down to the last paragraph of the article where you're talking about where where Bondertchuk actually says that, you know, that truly really, it doesn't matter. You know, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit where you know, I mean, when he looked at his throwers and, you know, the guys it, it, arguably some of the most strong, explosive athletes that we'll see, you know, around, you know, looking at joint angles and things like that. It, it really what it comes down to is, is the depth isn't as important as many of us in the field tend to make it out to be. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I do think it. some, some people, <laughs> what you have is people that take it to extremes both ways, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, When I start out my program, which we'll get into, I I try to have them get deeper because I want full range of motion and to work uh, the hamstrings and so forth, obviously along with the squat, and I want those muscles to work collectively together. But uh, as I get into a higher, let's say, sport back squat, for example, then I'm not so worried as much about the death because, again, my hockey athletes, my throwers, when they accelerate, if you look at the first two or three steps, of when they accelerate that's the angle that their joints when when the foot slams down and hits the ground that's the angle of acceleration that's where they're at and that is huge obviously in those first two or three steps so but again you can squat deep to get more balance but then essentially trans when I say balance balance in in musculature or uh, uh joint strength but then when you right. go to a higher one like I said in an article you need to um, compensate with a little bit more hamstring work, possibly. It depends if once you evaluate your program. But again, you're only going to the joint angles that they need to train at, maybe a little lower. And you know, take for example when you watch a thrower. If they're doing a spinning shot put, he'll go. He'll he'll make his first spin. Let's say he does the first 180, and it's an essentially a, a two-step sprint across that ring, and then he does his twisting. To get loaded up to throw but that is the exact angles in that two-step sprint that when he comes across that ring that makes him very explosive so why would you squat him deeper than he needs to squat why wouldn't you become very specific at the angles that he travels across that ring at, and the angle he throws from when he's wound up to release a shot at the last phase
1: yeah and you can you can almost look at it too with the big guys I mean you're not going to see at least I, I hope, a you know a six eleven, six ten, seven foot kid that plays a five in basketball. You're you're really not going to see him squatting down like Pud Rodriguez and calling pitches, you know. So you I mean, yeah. Well, if you can get a kid like that to squat at a quarter squat and stay upright, I mean the transfer is going to be there.
2: Well, we're getting. To it's more transfer, but I think this is what every everyone kind of misses, coaches. You see, watch your athletes rebound. I mean, you, you've talked about it before, they, coach. If they don't get into that deep position when they go to a rebound, if they did, they'd never get the ball because the ball's off the rim and, and somebody else is reaching uh, reaching the ball at its high point. You know, and, and then you also look at your you. You and I both know when that ball comes off the rim, a lot of these guys are still on their toes when they jump. A lot of people won't teach them to jump or do plyometrics on their toes but i think you probably should at some point you know because that's that's exactly what happens on the field
1: oh yeah without a doubt without a doubt um and that's actually an awesome point you know because you hear a lot of people talk about how well you can't squat basketball players and and we do and You know, for the most part, after talking with Doc, we moved a ton of our squatting in, and it's been really high, I mean, compared to what, you know, people would say would be an Olympic or a powerlifting squat, but we do do a bunch of of comparable work, you know, if we want to call it the posterior chain, just so that we can sound, you know, like we're we're in with the, the sad phrase that's being tossed around. But looking at that, how do you handle that that, that ratio there when we look at – you said you were talking about looking at your program. And if you need to add hamstring or, or glute work, what are the things you look at when you implement this ty- type of squat where you're going to say, all right, so we're doing X set to Y of this sport back squat. We know that we need to get the, the hip extension work on top of that. The, the knee flexion work, the hamstring, the hip muscles. What what are you looking at when you prescribe that specific scenario?
2: Well, you know, I usually add uh you can do it two ways. Obviously add an exercise, which may be the case, and I I, I do like the glute ham. Okay, and what I'll do is I've done an oscillatory glute ham at the ex- uh, extension phase, which would be very complicated to explain. Maybe we can uh, do a, I have the video up. Maybe I can send you j- just a post um, so people can take a look at it. Uh, I find that's effective, and then also I, I-, I call it the glute bar. Uh, uh, lift, which a lot of people will call it, uh, I think Brent Contreras, is that his name, Jay, correctly? Yeah,
1: Brent Contreras, yeah.
2: Contreras, yeah, He uh, the lift that he did with the bar across the hips, uh, I feel that's great. So I'll either add some exercises like that um, and or just add some volume to the ones that are already in the program. So, awesome. um, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, that's, that's awesome. And those... It's great to hear that because, you know, I mean, we really, both of those, you know, the glute ham just in general, the different ways of implementing it, I mean, that could be almost like a three-hour conversation. And then, yeah. uh, you know, that, that hip thrust, or, or you called it the barbell glute lift, um, that Greg Contreras kind of, I guess you could almost say popularized or invented almost, um, is really a fantastic exercise of looking just because of how it's displacing the pelvis through movement, you know, which is really all it comes down to.
2: Sure. I mean, I've, I've, I, to me, I've seen some great transfer with that exercise for any extension sport, and then obviously, you know, it ties in, um, like I said, into the hamstrings and then up to through the rib cage and and the core training. To me, you know, I have some 180-pound kids using uh, 465 with that. And uh, for reps, and you should see them, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and you talk about core development when you're doing that exercise. I mean, I think that's a huge, huge benefit for uh, for my track athletes, especially. That's where I seen, saw the transfer. So then, you know, again, I always state that track is, is one of these sports that are measurable. And when you see transfers as a sport, uh, that sport, then you know it's going to work into the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, and the glute ham can can be endless amount of different combinations and tempos and exercises. So to to add all this to your to your training, then uh, uh, or, or just your training arsenal. Okay, I mean it is very important, and the variations are big too. So then you just look at all the variations and see which one is more realistically following what happens in sports, and that's how you want to peak your particular uh, programming model. So that the most specific ones look like what's going on in the sporting field.
1: Awesome. awesome. Well, let's go ahead and dive into a couple of these questions. We had a, yep. a couple of people post. Really, one that was is kind of a common one between the two of them is, is how are we looking to move from an Olympic or a powerlifting squat to the sport back squat? Is it an exercise where there is, like, some form of benchmark at, in the other two exercises that we would want to see before we look to move to the sport back squat.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, as far as strength uh, goes, um, well well, let me back up. So for peaking this particular uh, um, movement, the sport back squat with the more narrow stance, what I found, Jay, is that a good guideline, I would say it would be between three and six weeks to get some great results with this particular type of uh, um, changing in, into your program with this particular type of implementation. Now, now but the difference between three and six, let me back up here. If you have a athlete that is, let's say, weak as a kitten, okay but you have 8 or 10 weeks to train this particular athlete i found that i will get them strong with let's say your olympic style or your power lifting or or some type of version of the squat uh for the first part of the program and if they are weak obviously you know if you take a look at let's say uh, zatorski's uh, explosive strength deficit You could actually keep measuring them, but a good rule of thumb is they need to get strong for as long as possible. So if you got them for 10 weeks, let's say the first seven weeks, they need to get strong. Keep getting them as strong as possible, okay? So if you like the older style back squat or or, or the different type of back squat than the sports back squat, you would go for the first seven weeks to get them as strong as possible. And then the last three, you transfer over for three weeks of the sport back squat. Okay. Now you'll even find that their strengths go up because you're not going as deep. Okay. So that sports back squat will be effective. Now, if your athlete is a seasoned athlete, I find that the longer you can spend at the sports back squat. Let's say if you're you got a ten week training cycle, then I would go three to four weeks of training the regular back squat, then transfer your athlete for the last six into the sport back squat because you'll receive um the most benefits with your more advanced athlete that's already strong. So to answer the question, with that again, the more or the more experienced and the, the stronger your athlete is, the longer you can spend at your peaking with the the sport back squat. Okay? So and again, I do like between um 3 and 6 weeks. 3 minimum, 6 weeks. Now, there's I'm I'm contemplating this year with spending a uh, some of my athletes a majority of the season into the sports back squat, so maybe download weeks i I do the uh the regular back squat but again um there's all these variables let's say if you for example um you want me to talk more about the peaking j keep going yeah, that's great all right so for let's say for example, my track team, if I'm gonna peak them now, obviously we peak for big tens and nationals we've been able to win five out of six big ten titles so we feel very confident with our, our peaking method on these guys and that's the coaches recruiting great athletes too but these guys are hitting some pretty good PRs now we peak in January let's see I think it's end of February and then the end the beginning of May for the big ten title so what happens is in the off season um we will spend most of our time back squatting 2 to 3 days a week and i found that if i want to implement the sports back squat i will always do that at the beginning of the week if i'm going to do both types of squatting okay so and then my deeper squat let's say my regular back squat will be implemented at the latter part of the week with more high-volume training in my programs, okay? So let's say that would be uh, October through December. Um, And then once the season comes, I will transfer all my squat days to the sports back squat, okay? And that's for my advanced athletes. Now, my younger athletes, they will do the regular back squat just to get as strong as they can through the off-season and then in-season we will um, wait to the very end to transfer them into the sports back squat. So you can do it on a complete uh, monthly basis or on a weekly basis, or you can kind of add them together or put them together um, with transfer. But again, I think the biggest thing in programming is that whatever your main focus is, so if you're a track athlete and you, you, obviously you want to get more transfer. Uh, into the track, then you would do your sports back squat. If you want to do both types, to do it early in the week, and then do a regular back squat latter part of the week, or you could make it your max effort day two with a regular back squat.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
2: all. And then, and so go what ahead. was that? Well, no, with hockey, let, let's say with uh, say with a sport like hockey that lasts longer, um... I will peak them, let's say that the season ends in uh, April, if you're lucky, and then you start over. So what I I usually do is I train them with my regular back squat for the first eight to ten weeks of summer. And then through my my training cycles, I will actually, when they really start pick up their skating in July, I, I switch over to a sport back squat, okay? And at that point, that peaks them for the summer, so the testing goes great. I will find a, a lot of great results. I think I had uh five uh different professional teams come in and ask me about my my college guys just because the testing keeps going so well with them and I th- truly believe that's that's part of the reason. Um their speed their speed levels are pretty high and they're very uh they're very always getting better in the progressions. Now college hockey is unique thing these kids can go actually get tested by their professional sports teams. That they've been drafted by. So my my college athletes have, most of them have all been drafted by a, a pro pro sports team already. So then in summer they can actually go down there and spend time with the pro sports team. You know it costs them money that my athletes, but ultimately they can do that for people not recognizing or understanding hockey. But so then I do my sports back squat for peaking at the end of the summer, and then I'll turn around and. Readdress my regular back squat with deeper back squats during the beginning of the season and then once about November December comes I switch over to my sports back squats and we spend that the rest of the year for my hockey players. So I can say three to six weeks of peaking, but ultimately sometimes it comes down to two or three months.
1: Right. Well, when they're playing, I mean, you know, the hockey guys are playing three games a week for the most part, correct? Yes. So it's almost like you need it for a constant peak, you know, especially with the competition and the, you know, the pressure of the time of the kids in Minnesota, I mean, they, they are kind of the, uh, the hockey team's kind of the state's, the state's pride and joy there.
2: So. Yeah, yes, no question. And, you know, I find that when they start skating so much, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to if we're doing a regular back squat they'll try to get higher because their legs are just beat up and I find that also in your programming during high volumes of sport activity that the sport back squat doesn't beat them as up because you're not going as deep okay and because if they're fatigued they're going to fight you on going uh, for for the depth
1: right so that's almost a model that anyone utilizing any team sport can follow is that it? you know the If you're in these situations where you're playing a lot of games, you know, there's look to an exercise like this in order for your athletes to continue to improve throughout the season, to continue to get faster and more explosive and not beat them up, you know, as opposed to sitting there and trying to tell these kids to get, you know, get to full depth and wearing them out and fighting these battles and maybe not doing anything other than just frying their CNS.
2: No, you're exactly right. Because once they get fatigued and you go, let's say you go deeper into the squat position, I mean, to to come out of there is uh, pretty aggressive, especially on their uh, nervous system, as you said. So um, you'll find that, again, they're more reactive in that position because, uh, again, it's biomechanically more sound and they're stronger already um, for, for the higher back squat. Now, uh, w- one thing I was contemplating is this year. I'm not sure how it will work, but so realistically, if you look at, uh, let's say we start out with a six weeks of back squat training, and then we transfer into um, six more weeks for simplistic reasons of sport back squat, J. Then actually the last three weeks of the, the training model, I was actually going to do basically a sports back squat jump because again with with somewhere around probably 20 to 30% of the nat uh, uh original back squat max we found we have we've seen many articles about how the power max power's done it somewhere around 30% of your your back squat with a with a squat jump okay so i was thinking about doing a squat jump the last 3 weeks uh a sport back squat jump the last three weeks for peaking in my sports model, and I believe that might be something that will uh turn out to be very effective in in my peaking for my athletes um I actually played with a little bit this summer on some of my athletes to see where they would test it in the summer, and jumping results got greater, which again jumping results um got got greater because again it's it's more specific to what they do um because in sport. We can have this conversation probably all day, and this, this will, will cause a lot of questions, but if you spend too much time straining with a heavy back squat load, you can actually teach your nervous system to become slower and not fire effectively. So what you do is get into the most explosive uh, method you have, and that method would be a go from a back squat to a sport back squat to a sport back squat jump. And actually, I'd probably pair that with even a lighter plyometric. So it would be the sport back squat jump, and then you'd get off that and go do a a lighter, uh, somewhat of a contrast method uh, with another plyometric. And I think um, I'm going to do that with a few teams this year to see if that transfer um, works as well as I think it will.
1: Well, above and beyond all, that just makes sense
2: well it's just again, it all goes back to the speed of the movement i mean, you're trying to get closer to the speed of the movement, and rarely does anything that we do in sport uh in the weight room seem to mimic the speed at which it happens out on the uh the field or the court or uh the ice, so you're again you're mimicking like doc says doc Yesis, you're mimicking the joint angles and the speed at which which all these things happen. So, I don't know, Jay, it may be something you want to look at or try. Um, especially with, with these experiments, you try with uh, a lot of red shirts. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. or people that, Um, you, you do have to crack a few eggs to make an omelette once in a while. So, you know, the experimentation process with these types of athletes can, can be very, very useful. So.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And,
2: and then, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in an article, one of the coaching points to that the sport back squat, Jay, was – Again, I think, I truly believe athletes need to drive their feet through the ground. And I'm not sure if that was mentioned, but you'll hear a lot of. Coaches in the uh, powerlifting world say, hey, you have to drive with your hips when you're doing, you know, let's say a a really wide stance back squat. And I, I don't disagree. That's what you need to do for powerlifting. But for sports, everything goes through the feet, the transfer of force. So one of the coaching points is that I always have to make and reiterate with my athletes is that they drive through the ground with their feet while doing the back squat, sport back squat. Okay, this is where you'll see more transfer. Then um leading into let's say the sport back squat jump, when you leave the ground after you've dro- drove through the f- feet and you start to leave the ground, you must drive through your big toe and push with your toes, but mainly the big one when you're leaving the air to or when you when you're propelling yourself into the air so that you transfer the forces through your feet and use the full benefits of your foot complex to to apply force to the ground, and you'll find out that uh, they'll jump higher and be be more explosive. Which is a whole other article on the foot complex that we probably should post up in the next few weeks.
1: Oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. And that that is a great point, and it's a great cueing point that you know. I think that everybody that was at the seminar last year took home, and I know you walked through the weight rooms with us. You, you'll hear everybody on the staff, whether it be Coach Stewart or Coach Powell or, or Coach Porter, everybody, it's, you know, if it isn't pushed through your feet, it's, come on, keep your chest up. You know, I mean, that's the only other thing that you hear people yelling, and it's you, you can really see in how the kids are moving better just by simply having them refocus what they're doing instead of thinking, of, you know, it, it really is hip extension it, as it is them trying to move the, the floor away from the bar. Right, pushing their feet to it, and it's,
2: it's really one of the best cues I've not, I've heard. Well, it, it's it's so important because you know when they're playing sports, their brain doesn't think about moving their hips; it just moves, right? Well, when you spend so much time coaching these people up, and they are not um, doing it the way they are in sports, there's just not. A, you know, I can't say for sure, but I don't truly believe there's a whole lot of transfer into what's going on. Now, the transfer of strength may take place, but the transfer of the movement and the speed isn't taking place. Okay, so you know, when, when many times, and I'll I'll, be, I'll let you in on one of the, the things we did here. We we did a uh, a quick just simple study in the weight room. I mean, we didn't post it or uh, or publish it or anything, but we gave a group of kids, and I won't get into the details of the study, so we set it up. We found out that when we gave somebody four or five coaching points, that they produced 30% less power than if we only gave them one coaching point. Okay? So, again, you have to work on one coaching point at a time. And try not to overcoach people. I, f- I see that all the time. People are getting overcoached. But the main purpose is once your athletes perform the lift correctly, give them one coaching point or no coaching points if they don't need it. But the biggest thing that we always tell them is to move the bar as fast as possible when it's that time to move the bar as fast as possible, okay? And, and everything else should already have taken place. And try not to feel your core if your core is tighter. Because when they start feeling all that sensory stuff, um, just to get awareness of their body, they're try- They're going all through this checklist. That actually takes the area of the brain where sports is played in and moves it to another area of the brain, and that's really not sports training or sports transfer uh, of what you're hoping to get. That's awesome. So, and you've seen it, Coach, I know you have. Um, where where athletes overthink things, and uh, you're not going to get the full benefits of, of what we're trying to do here with this sport back squat because we're just moving your feet in and giving you a better position and making it more sport-specific by position and speed and where the athletes are at to, to transfer into the sporting field. So, I mean, and that's the hopes of everything. So, yeah.
1: Well, you see. know, the coach isn't the only one that can be paralyzed by analysis. You know, it sounds like what you guys found is that the athletes are paralyzed just as much, you know, by you giving them too much information, and they're thinking about too many things. What really ends up being what is most important for them at that time, they seem to overlook, and that is moving the bar as fast as possible.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know what sports, but... uh... Speed's not important, but every sports i coach speed is is of very important. so obviously skill in, in, in many of them are very important too but you know if you're not hitting shots in basketball but you've got the speed to take it play defense and to, and and take it to the rack well you know what uh, uh, that can that can overcome some some poor shooting sometimes you know what i'm saying so it's 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 a uh, uh, all about getting them to perform as well as we can, and, and that's the hopes. That's what we're constantly looking for here, with me and my staff. So, awesome. Did well, we? I, uh, I
1: think that, that Go ahead.
2: No, no. Go ahead, please.
1: I think that that progression is absolutely fantastic, and you know, we've talked about that coaching too in the past. And like I said earlier, I think it's one of the best. Um, the other question that was asked was, and it, it's kind of kind of a good lead-in after that progression is would you use it with a squatting variation like a front squat would you move their feet in closer if that was the exercise that a coach chose um to use or do you feel that just the makeup of the front squat itself or the foot position normally would be that this wouldn't be an aspect where you'd look to implement this
2: um you know i found with with front squat when you when you come in with a, a more narrow stance then again it pushes the uh the center of gravity farther back and I didn't see my athletes uh now maybe some of them with, with the right biomechanical structures of the uh the body will push as hard in the front squat position as if the bar's on their back. They seem to push much harder when the bar was on their back. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh yeah without a doubt with 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 the position of the bar in the front squat i just i just didn't see it they were more worried about holding on to the uh the bar so but again with with the biomechanics of the f- the sport back squat you could use the front squat you could use uh safety bar squat um which I think is effective but I found the the back squat and let's say even the safety bar squat was was more effective than the uh the the uh, front bar or uh, bar placement with the sport back squat. Because, yeah, they're more worried about balancing than they are about applying force and pushing through the ground. Um, and this this foot placement coach can even be used on a leg sled. You know, if you want to do a wider stance leg sled and then eventually transfer it into a more narrower stance, um, I found that that works for athletes that might not be able to use the spine, uh, spinal loading with heavier weight. So... And then I believe part of the the other question, as I addressed before, there was no really, with with the strength part of it, there was no time that you could specifically transfer, uh, pick when it's time to transfer. It was just all based upon performance of uh, peaking when I want my athletes to perform well, whether that's testing well for the coaches at the end of summer, or performing at the end of season for the best model. Um, for for hopefully winning and, and that was just about it. beautiful.
1: Well, I would like to take this opportunity to uh to throw one quick plug in. We mentioned the oscillatory method, which is something that you spoke about earlier, where uh people can get you know some more information on that through the the videos on the website and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also have a book coming out in the not too distant future where these may be some of the topics that uh, that are included.
2: Yeah, the uh, oscillatory movements, um, as you read in the article on, uh, I believe on your website, you've posted, it, correct? The,
1: did, the
2: did you
1: oscillatory p- article? Yeah. No, yeah, we will soon, though.
2: Oh, okay, very well. Um, with the uh, with that particular method, you know, essentially you're using the uh, weakest position and doing undulations, basically, or oscillatory movements in the uh, bottom position, but we've been able to find some uh, huge benefits especially with very light and loads and again this all comes back to the speed at which things happen in sports and using these oscillatory methods uh... mel sif uh, has wrote about them docs doc Yesis has uh... had conversations with me about them and they're very effective uh... we use them in practically every muscle group and every uh... almost every movement at a particular time of the year and, and the biggest thing is is just Again, realistically, during the peaking phase and um the last three to six weeks of, of your sports performance because you can use lighter loads because that's the uh speed at which sports is played at in those light and those lightened loads and yes yeah, very it seems to be very effective and i will uh, uh we're we're putting that uh loading model in my book hopefully th- Within the next couple months, we'll uh, have everything. It's essentially done. I, I just don't know how long it takes through the editing process and the publication part. So thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, you got it. I'm sure that everyone will be on the lookout for that. Coach, once again, thank you very much for taking the time out uh your day here to, to talk with us a little bit. It's uh, It's been fantastic, and I really think that everybody's going to love it.
2: Well, Jay, I appreciate the kind words. And you know what? I'm uh, – we may have to switch this uh i know you're on top of things up there and I, I don't hear uh i don't hear the two-way street on this end so i have yet to sit down with you and and really pick everything apart that you're doing cuz i need to know so i think we're going to have to switch this one day and i'm going to have to run some questions by you because i know i've seen some things that i need to know more about on your end i'd appreciate if we could do that versus you just kind of sucking everything up like you do coach <laughs>
1: well wow. Consider it done, my friend. Consider it done. And we will be in touch soon. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. And, Cal, thanks again. And, And
2: we'll see you soon, man. Thanks, Coach. Take care. Bye. You too.